and welcome back to Future of Film Podcast. My name is Alex Stoltz and this, as regular listeners know, is a show where we share insights and strategies from the pioneers, trailblazers and disruptors who are shaping the future of film, the future of entertainment, the future of media. Today I am delighted to welcome to the show Steve Silver. Steve is Games Industry Strategy Manager at Autodesk, where he amongst other things, prevents bottlenecks before they even arise by researching, learning, and predicting the future of gaming, the metaverse, and entertainment technology. So Steve is clearly someone right of a nexus of entertainment technology and at a company, Autodesk, that really prioritizes creators. And and I also know that he has a passion for thinking about inclusion and bringing that into the the space. Uh, So, so many uh, interesting and relevant things here for the future of film. And I am so excited to have this conversation today, uh, which will be very much focused on the metaverse and particularly what what does that mean for creators? What does that mean for the industry? Uh, And, you know, how can we, um, how can we explore it? So, well, Steve, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Alex. This is really exciting. I'm so excited, man. Thank you so much. And I, I appreciate it. It is early there in, in Portland, Oregon. So I doubly appreciate you, you making time this morning. Uh, perfectly fine. Uh, it's just started snowing off and on right now. So that's fine. I always like to see that. So great excuse to get up and take care of the chickens and whatnot. <laughs> Amazing. Well, from from taking care of the chickens to... Um, to the future of entertainment and future of technology. Um, I know you've been doing a lot of thinking, a lot of work there recently about the metaverse. And the metaverse is a term that a lot of, you know, people throw around a lot. There's, um, that people have, there's quite some woolly definitions perhaps, or vague definitions and some varying ways people think of it um so i'm just really curious to to to, to ask straight away how how you define that term that is uh that is the question and i think that it's um part of the reason that it's been so hard to define what the metaverse is is that it's uh it's part of the reason is because it's going to be a while before we actually get there and when we're at that point it may not even be called the metaverse right i think that it's really just an aspirational uh phrase for the interconnectedness of our digital selves and our physical selves. You know, it's not just about the games we play or the environment, but I think it's about, you know, being able to buy a pair of Nikes and those Nikes were designed digitally, say using Maya. And then uh, that asset is then able to also be shared as an NFT, uh, which Nike supports NFTs as well. Uh, and then you can take that and wear it on your digital avatar too. So it's about like taking those real elements that you have and also having sort of that digital self or that digital identity. Uh, but it goes far beyond that too, you know, in the ways that we we purchase, the ways that we share and use currency, the ways that we socialize. Uh, so I think it's really just the next phase. If you think about how you currently use the internet what does the next phase of that look like? What does searching for something look like? Does it look like being in a VR environment and asking a generative AI to show you what 1700s Boston looked like? You know, is it, uh, or is it about, you know, 
being able to socialize in ways that are haptic and, and make you feel really there. So it's really it's such a broad term. I think that's why everyone is trying to scramble to figure out how to define it. So the first things that we're trying to do is look at it foundationally. Um, how are we building it and how are we making it secure, safe, uh, interoperable with other companies so that as you know, you know, we joked around before uh, we started talking about uh, the the multiverse and how that's different than the metaverse. But in a way, it's, it is kind of similar. You're talking about being able to interact all of these digital worlds into a single ecosphere so that you can have an avatar in one be compatible with another world. And it may look a little bit differently, but in that transition, you still sort of take a lot of those elements of your avatar and character and and have it be able to convert to that environment. So I think really the foundation is the important thing to, to focus on about the metaverse. And that's why it's been so hard to really define this is what it is, because uh, we're still a, a bit of ways from actually obtaining that that vision. In a way, I think it's really helpful to frame it in that sense, like it's, it's the next iteration of the Internet in, in some ways. It's like, you know, an a step change in terms of how you search, how you communicate, how you interact uh, on online. In terms of that foundation, is that a is that fundamentally a, a, a new technology or a you know a, a different layer of technology that we're talking about? For example, Web three is, is that what we're talking about? You mentioned NFTs and how hmm. that allows you to you know to, to, to interact in that space. Yeah, I mean, I, I know I used NFT. I summoned uh, Web3 into the conversation by saying that. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I think, uh, uh, no, it's it's important. And I think that uh, when people talk about Web3, uh, cryptocurrency, tokens, blockchain, those things are the phrases that come to mind. Um, some of those are uh, phrases that have been going through their own evolution. Like, uh, for example, using uh, crypto mining to get cryptocurrency, uh, which is digital untraceable currency that's uh, decentralized on the blockchain. Uh, so that uh, process used to be proof of work was the majority uh, way of, of proving that you uh, you were valid, right? So the, uh, the process was very power consuming. That's why so many graphics cards were being uh, bought and sold and the prices had shot up, especially with the chip shortage. Uh, and it just is a really power hungry method to say, hey, are, are you capable of solving this complex uh, algorithm and using the power consumption to do so? Yes, you are. OK, we verified you. Um, and now there's other uh, companies like Ethereum, for example, that push for proof of stake, which isn't as power hungry and uh, instead just looks more for like a stake proof mechanism that doesn't require you to have a super beefy computer to to make it work. So I think, um, you know, those are just small facets of Web3. But Web3, uh, you know, if we look at Web1 as like the read only Internet and Web2 is like read and write Internet, then I think Web3 is like read, write and copy. And it is uh, when you expand to that, um, Web3 also has like the same foundational desires of decentralization, open source. Uh, you know, those are the things that we're looking at when we talk about uh, interoperable. It, it's the same concept. And so I think that Web3 foundationally is having the same conversations that say the metaverse is, is having. And I think uh, Web3 is an overall concept. The metaverse will be a part of that fixture. I think it's, it's really like how do we design you know, to be 
operable with say the internet of things your washer or dryer that have access to the internet or your refrigerator that has access to the internet how does that all become interoperable how can we use the blockchain to make sure that their firmware stays up to date no matter how far into the future we go and how dwindling certain models of washer or dryer or appliance that may happen uh if those uh, you know, usually you have to have a dedicated team updating firmware for tons of things to keep it secure. But things like blockchain or Web3, we're talking about creating a system that allows it to just be compatible for more of an extended time. So that's another thing that's very much in discussion that's being worked on. Um, there's some people trying to push for Web4 or 5 already now. Um, you know, whatever that means, I I am still figuring that out. But the uh, I think the foundational portions of Web3 are definitely well, like super relevant to the metaverse and, and creating that foundation. Mm. And another uh, aspect of the metaverse that I think a lot of people often are, are immediately associated with is virtual reality or extended reality. How, how key do you think that is? Because it, what you what you are describing seems to include a a virtual world but you can interact in but it it isn't just a virtual world is that fair to say uh i think it's very fair to say you know when we talk about device interoperability that word i always trip on by the way um but <laughs> that uh when we talk about interoperability within devices and the internet and connection it's also making sure that we have uh, broad platform compatibility and while we can't deny that the ways that we interact with you know technology in the worlds around us have adapted um you know everyone is carrying a supercomputer in their pocket now um, you know, mobile is, uh, the device dependency for mobile is growing. It's here to stay. Uh, but also AR and VR are going to develop really important ways to experience virtual worlds. And I think the full depth of what technology has to offer, but at the same time, you have to make it so, Hey, if you're in a, you know, a Microsoft teams virtual meeting and, uh, you walk in, in the metaverse to have this meeting because it's folks from all around the world, but you want to have that sort of physical presence. You should be able to have the person that's on their cell phone. Um, and they're represented either by an, a faceless avatar with a screen of with their face on it, or some screen in general floating in existence to say, Hey, they're connected, but they're in, um, you know, sort of a mobile space or a, a non-virtual space and they're still interacting. Uh, so I think that there's, there's certain elements to that, but there's also in the ways that we operate around our homes and in our lives and how those will interact. And I think we'll see a lot more of those use cases with AR, with uh, with Apple's upcoming release of their uh, XR experience headset. Um, I think we're going to find people utilizing, um, you know, sort of that, uh, that metaverse-like connectivity, but in just everyday tasks, whether or not it's I'm learning how to build something and I literally have an augmented version of a person building that thing so I can sort of place my hands and follow along like uh, there's technology like that that's already been in the works but I think it's just an example of how while games inform I think uh, these uh, graphical experiences I think how we use it will go beyond just games and virtual experiences any thoughts on the Apple you mentioned the Apple headset coming through um, you know everyone's always excited and you know fascinated to, to see what 
Apple then <laughs> takes a, uh, you know, what we, what we did with a phone, what we did with a watch, they always take it to a, a, a level you may not be anticipating. Do you have any sort of insights or thoughts on what to expect there? Yeah, I would say that uh, to expect what one would expect with Apple, like with Apple launches with their products, uh, and it's going to be that it's going to have high quality parts. It's going to be, it's going to feel really nice to hold. It's going to feel uh, as comfortable as they could possibly make it. You know, I think one of the challenges, especially with, you know, XR equipment that you put on your head is just how intrusive it is to have a you know wearable devices uh and i think that there was early on uh prototypes or models where they had the device connecting to an external battery pack that you would have uh wired from the headset down to like this battery pack and you it, it would keep a small charge so you could switch out these battery packs these banks um and, and use that now i don't know if that's going to be in the final design but that was one of the the leaks that had been discussed early on um but I think what to expect is um, that they're either going to just hit it out of the park or they're going to at least set the bar for you know what an XR experience could look like and how it could operate. Um, and I think that if we see people adapting, it, it's going to be really how other people use it that they didn't anticipate um, that that's going to make it. Uh, I think without like a what we call like a killer app or something that really shows the extent of potential for these things, uh, the device itself won't necessarily sell it. You can have a game console not have any hit games and just never take off, even if the console itself is very uh, complex and technologically advanced. Um, Sony's PS3 was technologically advanced. Uh, it had several processing units that had done a different approach to console games uh, or to consoles that, than any other manufacturer had ever done. Uh, but it was so hard to adapt to and, and work on that it uh, became a hindrance for people to actually work on Sony games. And so there was actually a while before we started to see hit games come onto the PS3 because there had to be folks that ramped up to being able to work in that specific environment. And now if you look at Sony consoles, Xbox consoles, even Nintendo hardware, a lot of it just shares a lot of similarity to, to PC hardware, which is what we develop on anyway. So um, I think it just got to the point where we're like, oh, we need to just focus on making something that's fast and workable um, that developers have uh, the ability to work cross-platform on. And I think, you know, uh, Apple coming out the gate, they're going to obviously have uh, sort of their own ecosystem to work in. Um, and they're going to have their own approach. Uh, Autodesk and other companies are a part of the Metaverse Standards uh, Open Forum. Uh, where we talk about foundations for the Metaverse. Apple is uh, notably not a part of that. They're doing their own thing. Uh, so I think that some folks have a concern of whether or not uh, Apple's system will lead to a, a decentralized network or if by its very definition, if we'll see Apple uh, keep a, a closed ecosystem uh, that benefits their users. So I think technology wise, we'll see a lot of wins and a lot of ways that people use this. But it's unclear about how that will interact with like the rest of it. You know, Tim Cook went on record to say, um, you know, no one really, if you, you can ask a hundred people what the metaverse is and I'm paraphrasing by the way, Tim, if you're listening to this, uh, but if you ask a hundred people what the metaverse is, they're all, all going to give you a different answer. And I think, you know, even as we started this discussion, 
that was the first question. And my answer was, there's different definitions and we don't really have that. So to that degree, Tim is absolutely right. But, um, you know, I think so their focus is really just the hardware and the experience and nailing that. And Apple is really good at that. So I would anticipate that it's going to have some positive buzz. It's going to inform a lot about what we do with the next set of headsets. And there's a lot on the market that's coming out um, to hopefully have some healthy competition with Apple. Tell me, tell me a bit about um, Autodesk, um, Steve, in terms of how you're, you know, just you talk about approaching it in terms of foundational um, aspects, which makes complete sense. But for someone where, you know, you're, you're creating, you create tools that um, creators can use, Maya being you know, a famous example of that. This is a great opportunity, right, for you. So if this is this is going to be a way to create, uh, to empower creators. I'm putting words in your mouth. I'm just um, to maybe I maybe I won't. But tell tell me about how you're thinking about some using some of those you know great Autodesk tools and uh, in the space. Uh, yeah, I think that uh, while there's a lot of work uh, and research that we have in Flux, what I could definitely uh, talk about and focus on is that we're committed to the Open Standards Forum. And uh, the first thing on there talks about uh, when we talk about like foundational work is USD, which is Universal Scene Description. It was uh, architecture made famous by Pixar um for those playing the home game and uh it allows just a a massive amount of uh of model uh work to be in a single scene like the toy story for town was all just one massive scene that you could zoom in on down to the uh the old thrift shop that had a like a jar of buttons in the corner of the room you could zoom in on that focus on one of the buttons change one of those like the technology is fantastic and there are companies uh that are a part of the standards forum that are also working on their own contributions to this open source code. Um, we also have Material X. Autodesk just released uh, Open RV for open sourcing as well. So I think that the foundational side, we're all trying to get to a point to say, hey, what do we have available that can become sort of an open source entryway for folks to come in and work on that interoperable part? Um, and USD is definitely one of those as a larger discussion, because uh, I think that's going to be um, what a lot of companies have talked about as the foundation of the metaverse. And so uh, when you have companies like Epic or companies like ours, uh, Autodesk or companies like uh, NVIDIA that are really pushing on that, um, all of us have uh, benefits to working together, even though there is definitely some, some healthy competition between some of us. But I think partnerships in the right areas will make sure that we're creating a broad uh, internet that is open, that is, uh, it, you know, a decentralized metaverse is the idea as well. Um, we don't want any one part or one company to really own the platform. And I think that's why Autodesk hasn't taken like a uh, a metaverse platform approach necessarily. Like we're looking at how our products are operable with tons of other you know, game engines or onset tools. Uh, but when it comes down to it, I think our focus is really, you know, the metaverse story to us is a content creation story. And uh, what I mean by that is as a, a DCC company is creating, you know, digital content creation tools. Our job is to make sure that the creators have 
what they need. And so how can we optimize using, say, generative AI? How can we optimize using procedural asset generation? Because content needs are growing at such a high amount that our focus is really how do we get our tools to a point where the most people could use them to create the content that they want to create? Uh, and how can we make sure that that content works in the most widest variety of places? Uh, and if that has to cross over into competitors or partners alike, then so be it. Because the whole point is about uh, open creativeness and, and making sure that we're removing those blockers and those gates from people that, that want to create what they uh, what they imagine and, and they want to have that capability. So I think our real our focus is on foundational and it's on content creation. I think those are the two primary things that we're uh, keeping top of mind as we move forward with our strategy. It makes complete sense that it's, it's about making it as viable as possible to create stories, experiences that can travel um and and mm. can be experienced in in different ways and on different platforms um does that is that something to do uh the slight slight tangent but the idea of the the mirror world or digital twinning having a um a digital replica of real life spaces or your your own uh your own body perhaps i don't know but um how how do you see that playing into the in into this? Can you can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, I think a, you know digital twinning. Um, so there are a few companies, uh, us included. We had announced a partnership with Epic Games uh, to connect their Twin Motion to our Revit software for our you know it's our architectural. Uh, engineering and, and construction side of the business. But with that, it's going to help us to uh, get, you know, building data together along with Epic and, and their Unreal Engine to create realistic uh, renderings of buildings before they're even constructed or to get building data and to, you know, vice versa, put that into a digital asset space. And I think that that's a natural step to take when we're talking about you know simulation, um, when we're talking about how do we scan the better part of the world to create a digital twin in order to better uh, simulate conditions that can help us to plan uh, for not only how do we live on this planet, but how we continue to thrive on this planet. And so, um, excuse me. So uh, there are a lot of companies that, um, you know, a lot of teams, a lot of folks that are that are focused on how do we create the capability for simulation that can give us the most bang for a buck. There's uh, to throw a few examples out there. Uh, besides the partnership with us, Epic also has a partnership with uh, Tesla and Tesla is creating an exact replica of San Francisco. And the purpose of this is to actually create a simulation environment for them to test their self-driving vehicles. And so now one for one, you're not gonna have the same conditions that you have in a real life. Obviously, there's so many small details that um, you think you have to get every minutia right down to the weather, um, the walking patterns of very unpredictable people. Uh, you know, how do you plan for this? And I think there's a, a number of generative concepts that are in mind, procedural concepts, but also 
Um, you know, the thing that I think we do know is how big is a building relative to the size of another building next to it? I think those are things that are going to remain um, just consistent, at least uh, if conditions apply. Um, sometimes buildings are added on to things change and hopefully we'll find ways to adapt. But I think that, you know, just finding the landscape or the environment and saying, well, you know, this mountain is here. We know that mountain's there. This building is here. We know that building's here. Um, those things aren't quite as unpredictable. Uh, so I think that a lot of the scanning uh, projects that are happening, a lot of the digital twin processes that are happening are starting wide with environment. And then you have some folks that are really uh, trying to tackle the how do I represent my human self in the metaverse? How do I represent an avatar? How do I do digital twin scanning? Um, you know, how do I scan a real life object, turn that into a 3D object, and then upload that into a 3D environment? And the technology for that already exists. And, and now it's just at the point where it's going to get better. But, um, you know, I think that, and I was talking about this with my partner uh, last night, just the the world has so much uh, about it that's unpredictable that it is one of those things where I think we have to make sure that we're simulating for the right conditions. If we're relying on how we simul simulate the world or have digital twins in the world to uh, replicate anything in particular that that is not as predictable as we hoped, uh, we may put too much reliance on that. So I think, you know, using it in bite-sized segments like NVIDIA using it to train um, robotics on how to walk up and down stairs. You can create, you know, different uh, patterns for it to learn. Uh, and then when you apply that to the robot in the real world, they should retain that knowledge and be able to take that into the real world. So there's places for simulation to really thrive. And then there's places where simulation, if we have too much reliance on it, we may miss some of the minutia about the uh, the ever-changing world that we live in. So, um, you know, I think all of it's for the benefit of good, but do I think we're going to have a one-for-one -one exact copy of everything? Um, it's too early to tell. I think that'll involve, uh, if I had to guess, in which I am right now, but if I did, I think it would involve uh, everyday people like you and I contributing either our own uh you know, faces or patterns or, or avatars or our own environments to these spaces in order to sort of create a digital library of the planet. Um, and that's not, uh, you know, too far outside the realm of possibility, especially if you look at countries like Tuvalu, um, which is a, a great example of this. I don't, I don't know if you've heard of uh, what's happening there. So Tuvalu is a small Pacific Island nation it's got just barely over 10,000 people that live there. And they were at the COP conference last year where they had their, um, they give a speech from a digital version of one of their islands that's now underwater. And the message is, is that in within the next hundred years, it's very possible that this entire nation will be underwater due to climate change. And so their message was, oh, we have no choice but to become the first digital nation. And so they partnered uh, with this company that that created using Unreal 5. They basically did a digital twin of one of the smaller uh, islets that's right outside their mainland that is underwater. And they essentially uh, scanned it, rebuilt it. Uh, and uh, Simon uh, Coffey, who did the uh, the talk for... Uh, about this did the talk from that digital islet 
And so you see sort of parts of it, you know, flickering in and out behind him as it's rendering. Um, and they're using Unreal 5.1. So it's got, you know, nanites and lumens, and all these great like new technological things that make it look very realistic as well. Um, it, it, the whole point was as, you know, it looks like this gentleman is standing on an island as it pans out and you see it's actually a digital island. And it, so the part of it's kind of mind blowing is you're like, oh, wow, the, the person, I thought they were practically there, but something seemed off and it was intentional to show, hey, we're cataloging this. And so uh, the company that... Uh, that made this digitized it gave it to the nation um it's on amazon's web server right now um but is the first part of that process where they're like well we're going to uh do digital ledgers of everyone that's in the nation so that they're on the blockchain and we're gonna have our whole nation digitized and now there's questions about is a digital nation actually recognized as an independent or sovereign nation and so all these conversations are happening now with the digitization of our planet and how these solutions are being you know recognized and so it's really it's a fascinating time to see how this technology is interacting uh but it's a sad message to say like look if we can't save the planet our solution is to become a digital planet um, you know, I don't think that's the overall message here, but that's one of the uses that we're seeing with twinning with, with, uh, with creating simulation, uh, of real life locations. And so, uh, so keep Tuvalu in mind too, because I think that what they're doing is really different and fascinating, um, and kind of a wake up call as to how technology is important, but being sustainable, and using this technology to help us get there is is equally, if not more important. If you're enjoying the show, just want to find out more about Future of Film, head on over to the home of Future of Film. That's futureoffilm.live. Here you can dive into all five seasons of the podcast and explore some of our other FOF resources like the Summit and Incubator. And if you're not already, why not sign up for our monthly newsletter? We've recently revamped it to include not just the latest from FOF, but new opportunities in the space and our pick of the latest articles on the future of screen storytelling. So that's all of the Future of Film resources and news available now at futureoffilm.live. thinking about tesla's san francisco um that they've mm. created yeah these spaces which are being created are then uh you know have have these other possibilities um do, does that if that if that if that's interesting for you to, to, to jump off from there steve or or you know also you know maybe we can start thinking about how creators do start to think about approaching this opportunity uh, that is, uh, I think there's a lot of jumping out points there. And I think if we're talking about, uh, you brought up a great point, like, oh, San Francisco is being recreated. We can put that into GTA. And I think that's exactly the crux of what interoperability is about. And, and all of these mechanics of simulation is that, you know, while it doesn't account for the stylized and the fantastical, um, because we want to create tools that also allow people to be creative and to create things that don't exist, right? Um, but when we come down to, hey, well, we already have this asset for San Francisco, and we have this movie that's taking place in San Francisco, where 
the city is blown up. We obviously can't blow up the real city, but we have this exact twin replica that we can blow up. So uh, the code exists. We can license that out. It has it uses USD. Uh, so we're able to utilize that in other engines or, or software as well and do what we want with it. Um, and so that shows sort of how, you know, we're not creating ways to have people rebuild the same things over and over again. We're creating ways to say, well, let's build the one thing correct one time and share it. And uh, and so I think we'll see a lot of that happening. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up that I thought was interesting, too, and, and this goes on to talk about like you know a little bit of digital twinning, but also brings movies and metaverse into this conversation as well, uh, like Metaphysic AI. Uh, that's a company that uh, is creating it software for digital avatars for the metaverse. And uh, what you can do is you can take your picture and it essentially will scan that picture and then create like a 3D rendering of your head just from that picture. Uh, but that's just the, the crux of it. You may actually have seen a, a taste of this software in the new Indiana Jones movie, if you've seen the trailers for, for that. Um, there are the that trailer where Harrison Ford, you see a young Indiana Jones. Uh, and he's gone on to interviews with like Stephen Colbert talking about, oh, that was all generative AI. Uh, they use this de-aging software. Um, but what they did was that Lucasfilm had so much footage of Harrison Ford as a young man between Star Wars, between Indiana Jones, um, that they were able to take angles and lighting and and feed that into the algorithms in order to create uh, the best possible de-aging software. And from everything that I've seen, when they try to recreate a an actor as a younger version of themselves, which has been an incredible uh, feat, it, it's getting even better with tech like this because it's, uh, I think the advertisement that blew my mind was like, if your actor can't be on set, we got you covered. And so it's the idea that you don't even need the actor there to film them in the movie. Um, and, you know, that brings up all kinds of philosophical questions we probably don't have time to answer. Like if a digital actor is nominated for an Academy Award, is that, you know, how does that go? Is the actor that didn't show up on set win it still? I don't know. Um, you know, but yeah, we'll pencil that in for another time. But I think uh, the, the point is that uh, the technology is advancing at such a pace that now you have just a really... Uh, genuine and realistic depiction of that capability. And so the way that we tell stories, the way that we film these things is, is starting to just expand. And so um, that's one example, I think, of how uh, people are utilizing some of this technology like generative AI or uh, some of the technology like avatar creation for the metaverse in order to incorporate that into storytelling elements, in order to utilize the assets and stuff that we're already building in other locations like San Francisco. If you want young Harrison Ford in San Francisco, you can make it happen completely digitally. And so, you know, that's where we're at today. Uh, I only imagine that 10 years from now, this is going to be something that's within reach of any person that wants to create. Wow. So you had so the scope of what you're going to do, licensing and rights and and so on, not notwithstanding, but in you know, technologically it's gonna be accessible. Um mm. uh, so then where 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 do you start as a storyteller then? What are you what are you thinking? Yeah, uh, is it about thinking about how can this story then travel to these different 
you know, different experiences. Um, how how are you seeing, for example? I know you focus a lot on games um, in in your work. You know, where where are you seeing gaming really take advantage or start to exploit some of these you know, this interoperability? So I think that um, there's some great examples. Uh, so Fortnite is one thing that comes to mind uh and that is you know they're they're expanding to a new creative mode that will essentially unlock and and open source their unreal code so that people will be able to create high fidelity experiences uh within the fortnite universe um you know epic also supports usd uh and so the idea being that you have an avatar for um, just shooting from the hip Roblox. And uh, you want that fit to actually be the same outfit that you're wearing in Fortnite. Now, you can't necessarily have a Roblox character running around in a Fortnite world, but you can have that translation occur to say, well, this character is going to um, also be wearing like a red hoodie and a rabbit hat and, you know, these Nikes that I bought um, at the store. Uh and whatever interpretation of that is, it's able it's able to uh, to translate that. Uh, and so there are some game technologies that are focusing on that. Uh, the other thing with Fortnite too, as like a what we call a metaverse experience, because that's always keep, pay attention to that word, Alex, is the word experience. When you see someone saying it's a metaverse experience, it's because they're admitting the metaverse isn't here yet, but this is an experience that could be like the metaverse. And so, you know, that's what I always look for whenever someone is like, you know, Walmart has a metaverse experience and it's really just a land they built on Roblox. Um, you know, there's a, same thing with Fortnite. It's a metaverse experience. And so one thing you can see now on the tools is that people go into creative mode and users are creating worlds that um, tell stories that aren't just playable games, but you can actually see a section on their homepage. It's like, here are short films that have been created by Fortnite players that uh, start to bridge the gap of people going, hey, I have an idea for a story to tell. And there is a mechanism that is easy to use where I could do it all on my own. And so you're going to see, you know, younger kids that are starting to create more. Um, you're going to see uh, a lot of people that are able to implement their ideas in ways that they couldn't previously do. And, and games are really approachable for that. Um, and the same thing goes with like AR applications with like Pokemon Go. Uh, I don't know if you remember when Pokemon Go had come out for the phone and how insane that was. And even if you weren't playing it yourself, you probably saw uh, just a wave of folks back in 2016 that were uh, just at parks, walking around, had their phones out. Uh, my personal experience was I walked to the park down the street from my house and there was hundred, at least a hundred people that were all there playing Pokemon Go. It was just this huge, sw like no one ever went to the park, but that day there were so many people and this was a consistent thing that was happening. We were walking every day there because it got us to walk more. It got us to interact more. There were people that ended up showing up with drinks and battery chargers for phones and like, you know, you know, just meeting and socializing. And the game was really buggy. It crashed all the time. But the social experience, it, it worked outside of the game. And so even if my phone crashed, I was still there. And so to me, it actually wasn't as big of a deal that oh, I crashed again. I'm just going to reload. Tell me where that Charmander is. And then I run over it. But, um, you know, that social experience was such a 
a groundbreaking thing to me that showed me what those interactions can look like. And I think that's games showing us what digital to real world interaction could be. And, uh, and they did a great job of that. And that's, that's an example of like a killer app for AR, because I don't think anything's been able to really top Pokemon Go in terms of uh, AR capability and just incorporating real world elements into the game as well, you know, utilizing Google Maps, utilizing that. So technically, you know, Pokemon Go is a digital twin of the world. If you really want to get technical with it, um, you know, I actually brought my phone. Uh, well, of course, I bring my phone everywhere. But when I went to Italy uh, uh, in 2016, I, uh, Pokemon Go was still out. We went to Florence and we turned it on there and there was all kinds of Pokestops and people playing and different Pokemon that were specific to that region to catch. You know, it was really an experience. And so games broadly are are doing a lot of really cool groundwork to not only provide a bar for like hey here's what we could look like and here's how it could render and here's how we can play all these things in real time uh, but also how can we tell stories and how could we interact and engage with that and so um i think there's so many things going on in games right now that are are really pushing the boundaries there and i think that that's going to inform a lot about what the metaverse will look like and how we'll experience it yeah, it's um, definitely. It feels like the way the ways we will explore it um, are being informed by those uh, those dynamics. Mm. But what would you what would your advice be for for creators, Steve? You know, a storyteller looking to tell a story, thinking about the metaverse. Is there where would you point them to? What sort of principles might they be thinking about when they're designing their project or or is it just a case of like tell what you're passionate about <laughs> and then um and then come and speak with you know the experts i guess who, who understand the space more and can look at how to to, to make it travel yeah i think it's a, there's a combination of things there i think that there are going to be a number of platforms where users will be able to choose from where just everyday users that have a story they want to tell can look at and say i'm going to do it here i'm going to do it there because the the you user interface is more approachable to me or it's more uh accessible to me in in that way because you also have to consider that if we make a metaverse it's got to be uh, a a socially acceptable metaverse that accounts for people that are blind or deaf or that are handicapped you can't have people in vr that are uh required to stand if they're confined to a wheelchair and you can't have colorful graphics without having colorblind options you know there are a lot of uh accessibility things that are important about it as well and so you know i think the common metaphor that we've talked about recently here uh inside autodesk is you know anybody can open up a word document uh and see that blank page uh, so the tool is already there if anyone wants to write a book, but will you actually sit down and do it or will you be a person that engages with it instead? And what the metaverse tells us is not necessarily that everyone's going to be a storyteller, but there's going to be people that are going to want to experience these stories as well. I think we'll see that in a greater number. Um, but I think feeling like you could contribute or be a part of it or interact with it in some way is where it's going to be really different. You know, if you're able to not just watch a movie, but participate as an active member of that uh, movie or that world in some way as it's happening around you, 
uh, I think that sort of immersion is going to be really exciting for players and and creators alike, I think. Um, so really, if you're talking to just creators in this context, I think the important thing is just focus on the ideas that you want to generate. Um, don't let the tools stop you from making the things you want to make. Uh, whether or not it doesn't exist tool-wise for you to do yourself, it is still uh, important that you get down somewhere the idea, the world, the the situation, because it's only a matter of time before, say, uh, generative AI could read your script and actually create a digital representation of that movie for you or help you create storyboarding that you can bring to another artist to help you with uh, or create metaverse worlds that you could collaborate with other people socially in order to help with this idea and sort of, you know, open source it uh, to the public and, and make it happen. So I think the real important thing is for creators to uh, just continue creating and we'll work on the interoperability part. Um, we'll hopefully open that up as much as we can so that the public can also contribute and help uh, and have like more of a democratized say in what happens to an open metaverse. Uh, so yeah, I think that's that's really the most important thing for for people to sort of win in this space is just creators to be continue being creative in whatever means you can get your hands on yeah it's uh, it's very uh inspiring and i and i love that idea of co-creation um i love the the sense that this can be a democratized space um it open it raises so many questions though doesn't it steve about like you know if you can write a short synopsis and generative AI can visualize that for you. And um, you can reach audiences directly. You know, it's, it's, it really is, it really changes the, 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 the stakes, doesn't it? Um, or it changes the, the infrastructure so much in terms of how you traditionally would have to go through lots of different gatekeepers in order to reach that point. And um uh, that's very exciting. Tell me, do you have any sort of final thoughts, um, final uh, recommendations or, or, or suggestions on how people can should, should be thinking about this area? Um, and yeah, and, and what are you excited about for, for you know the future? Yeah, I'm. Uh, those are all, all great points to go out on. I think that. Um, the thing I'm the most excited about is to see where people go with using this technology. I think that is one of the most satisfying things. We could build software to allow, uh, or I won't say allow, but to enable creators to create what uh, they have in their minds. And the things that they do are incredible and they push the boundaries and they are the motivating factor for us to have to keep up and expand and try to stay ahead uh, in order to meet those needs. It's really driven by the folks that are creative. And I think that's where the passion comes from. Uh, I think that in this world, there are all kinds of things that are human rights, uh, like healthcare or housing or the uh, ability to be entertained. I think we have a right to enjoy the life that we have, the pursuit of happiness, as we talk about in in the United States. But the uh, the important thing is that we do this with an open mind and an open heart and that we're inclusive 
for what is your lifestyle and making sure that your needs are met in this space and that we uh, as creators or uh, as companies that work with creators are making sure that we create the platforms and the processes and the capabilities that that fit to everyone's lifestyle, that fit to everyone's needs as well. And so uh, if we don't have it yet, vocalize it, then we'll work on having it. I think it's really, you know, if you're thinking about the metaverse and you're thinking about where technology is going, um, I'd say get excited about what this could mean for storytelling and creativity. Uh, and I'd say also to uh, stay tuned because technology changes all the time and very fast. And where we are now is so much further than we were six months ago. And so it's only a matter of time before you know these things are more accessible into our hands, into our homes. Uh, and these are really going to be created for you and by you. So that's probably the the overarching message that I'd have for, for creators out there. Steve, thanks so much for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me, Alex. This was a lot of fun. This episode was recorded as part of Future of Film Incubator 2022, was made possible by our founding partners, Autodesk, NVIDIA, Dell Technologies, Garden Studios, and Epic Games and Unreal Engine. You can find out more about Future of Film Incubator and all of our other activities at the home of Future of Film, futureoffilm.live. So that's it for this episode. Thank you again for listening, and I look forward to welcoming you back to the podcast very soon.